Welcome to another edition of One Bottle at a Time. This is Ronald Dorsey. And today, we're with Mr. Barney Lear of the Wine Lovers of NYC. How are you doing today? Pretty well, thanks. Okay, wonderful. And uh, tell our audience the wine that we'll be enjoying today for this podcast. Well, we're going to be enjoying two very unusual wines. One from the south of France, from the Rhone Valley. Uh, and the other from Long Island, from Cutchard, Long Island. Both of them are made by one-man operations. They're little known, but very, very high quality and very have interesting stories behind them. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so now uh, from from having a conversation with you, I met you uh, through Mr. John Camacho at a wine tasting that we had recently, and uh, you had mentioned that you uh, you also have a place out in France that you that you go to from time to time. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started in wine and, and, and to where you're at today. You can start by telling us uh, the first wine that you had that knocked your socks off. What was the first wine you had that knocked your socks off and how things went from there? I can't remember the first wine I had. Uh, it's <laughs> okay. been a long time. I'm, right. I'm an old man. But uh, I first got interested in wine back in the uh, early 1970s. Mm. Uh, when I was a music student in Vienna, Austria. Hmm. And uh, the wine culture is very, very strong in Vienna, even back then, even though Americans didn't discover Austrian wines until relatively recently. And um, in Vienna, they have these uh, inns, you can call them, called Horiga, where they, they're scattered all around the, the outskirts, the suburbs of Vienna, where they serve the, late, the newest wine. Uh, Horiga means new, and uh, they serve them with wonderful food and everything, and everybody always goes out every weekend, especially as students. We always used to uh, spend a lot of time drinking the wine in these places. So, <laughs> okay, sounds so, good. Uh, so that's where I first got involved with wine, and then I traveled around Austria visiting wineries, just learning about different kinds of wines in Austria. So when I eventually came back to the U.S., I knew more about Austrian wines than I knew about French wines or anything else. So, mm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. But of course, so, nobody else did because they weren't popular at the time. Yeah. Okay. So now, uh, for, for, my, for my experience, uh, most of the Austrian wines that I've had are along the lines of the, the whites, uh, mm -hmm. along the lines yeah, of the... Yeah, the best ones reason. at the time were whites. Actually, now they're making some interesting red wines, too. Right, so, right, right. That, that's, I was going to ask you, uh, when you started out, did you start with the whites or you started with the reds? Or started with, with the whites. That's everybody with the whites, right. Yeah. No, Austria. Yeah. So now, uh, as a music student, uh, what, what did you do? What instrument did you study? And I studied the cello. The cello, yeah. wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And uh, did you have occasion after that to play to play in the orchestra or? In, 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 I uh, played actually. I played for a while in an orchestra for about four years. I played in orchestra in in Austria, and uh, we toured all over um, Europe and a bit to South America. And um, actually, on a few of our tours, we went to the south of France. Wow! And uh, so that's where I started to learn something about. French wine. Wow. Okay. Things. Okay. So now, yeah. did you also uh, do any chamber music or string quartets at all too? Yeah, did we you? did all of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. 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 So now, it's, it's, it seems like you're going in a little path here where you, in your musical travels, you, your, your wine education grew with that. Yeah. Sometimes I think I should have <laughs> back then given up the music and just become a winemaker. <laughs> That's all water under the bridge now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good, good. So now that, that uh, so like you said, you can't quite remember which wine it was 
No, yeah. I can't say there was one wine in particular. That okay, but now can you? Is it is it is it one wine that you can remember, even if it was, you know, maybe a little a bit after that that you that you tried, maybe even if it was something, uh, you know, something European or American. Can you remember one wine where you kind of said, okay, I remember this one, the name and maybe well, the vintage. Well, what I'll say is it's a it's a much more real recent bottle of wine I had in uh, Bordeaux. Okay. Um, I was. Uh, traveling with a journalist friend of mine and uh, we had the opportunity to have a private lunch, a couple of private lunches actually with a very famous winemaker uh, named Barton Mm -hmm. and um, he's an old English, Irish guy but his Lelvue Barton is an old um, uh, producer of wines going back again to the 15th, 16th century they've always Mm -hmm. been there since since, uh, his family has always owned these vineyards and uh, so he was in a good mood that day. And so for lunch, he brought out a ni- his, his 1990, which was, t- to this day, the most spectacular wine I've ever tasted. Mm. And mm. Um, so that, re- that stays in my memory as kind of the best wine I ever drank. Okay, I've, and you recall... I've also had, you know, some of the best burgundies and stuff like that. But this particular bottle of whatever it was... Okay, but you don't remember something. the varietal or... or? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, Left Bank uh, Bordeaux, which means okay. it's mostly Cabernet right. Sauvignon. right. Some Merlot and some uh, Petit Verdot. Wow, and it blew you away. Absolutely blew me away. And it was a 1990 vintage. 1990, yeah. Wow. Which is not even known as a very famous vintage, but that this bottle was, and he himself said, this is the best wine I've ever made. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. So now uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you know, your, your place that you have over in France that you, that you go to from time to time. In, well, in we have general. an apartment in, a very, in an ancient town. It's called uh, Beaucaire. It's uh, near, it's on, right on the Rhone River. Mm-hmm. So like from what we have a terrace and we overlook the Rhone River. You can see the river from our terrace. Wonderful. And um, Beaucaire is, um, has a very ancient history. All kinds of interesting things have happened there. But mostly, the most important things happened in Beaucaire between the 15th and the 19th centuries. Mm. So it's been a while since Beaucaire has been an important place. But mm. uh, from that period of time, Beaucaire was the largest market for anything, tapestry, uh, uh, textiles, food, everything possible. It was the largest market on the Mediterranean. Mm. And every year in July, the city was filled with thousands, tens of thousands of people who came from these markets to trade. And they came from all over the Mediterranean. They came from Africa. They came from... Middle East, they came from all over Europe, they came from every place to, just to do their trading there, only for one month a year in mm-hmm. July. Um, and the result was that there were a bunch of merchants, people selling these things, the textiles and stuff, who got extremely rich. And they built one beautiful chateau next to another in the city. So you walk down through the city and see incredible architecture starting from the 15th up to the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one next to another, and the ground floors for most of the buildings looks like it's a garage, or it could have been a horse stable, but no, that was the shop for this, for this market once a, once a year. Mm. So they would have this huge, very, very high ceiling garage, like in our building where my apartment is, what is now the garage was the shop. Mm. And... Um, they would have their textiles and their products there, and people would come and, and trade and do that kind of stuff. Wow. 
So now, do they still have uh, even if it's just an a- active uh, active local market? For well, yeah, I mean, like in most towns in France, twice a week there's like a fruit and vegetable market and 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 you know a food market and and also they sell cheap clothes and stuff. But um, uh, to maintain your tradition, now every July they have. Uh, two weeks of this big, it's like a big party that goes on in the city for two weeks. Mm. And they have all kinds of shows. Uh, they have special uh, dinners. Um, bullfighting is very big in the town, so they have a lot of bullfights and bull, bull events mm. going on. Um, and uh, everybody's out there having a good time every night. So mm. that's what happens for, for two wow. weeks in July. Right? Wonderful. Actually, wonderful. it's starting next week. I won't be there, but it's starting. <laughs> okay. So now, since you're in that in that Rhone area, do you get to, uh, when you're there, or do you get to visit uh, quite a few uh, vineyards in the area? Or? Yeah, so I, I've gotten to know, I think I know now all of the winemakers in Bocaire, in our town. There are about eight of them. Mm-hmm. Um few of them are, just, are, you can buy their wines here. Uh, one is called Morgues de Grey, that's the most famous one. That you can see, you can find that in a lot of wine shops around New York. Mm. Um, and so I know those people, I know, uh, I know, I know actually all of them. I've met all of them, talked to them, drank their wine, bought some of their wine. And they're, they're very, they're, they're pretty good. Not as good as the wine we're going to drink right now, but, but, okay. but, but, <laughs> but they're pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So I know that region is known for its, uh, for its Chateau North. Uh, one of the, uh, yeah, so one a good friend of mine is is uh, unusual, not one of the not the wine we're drinking either, but he's uh, one, also a one man operation in Chateau Neuf. Hmm. Uh, it's called uh, Domaine de Banaret, and he works all by himself. I, be, I even have a video of him putting labels by hand on his on each of the bottles. Hmm. After his uh, his family in Chateau Neuf goes back again. That long ago, 1560, back when the popes were there in the wow, 14th right. century or something. Wow, wow. And so he has this plot of land uh, that he inherited actually not from his father, but from his, I believe, from his cousin who didn't want it. They, they, he, he, his cousin had inherited it and didn't want to make wine anymore. And he, at the time, uh, Jean Claude, his name is, was an architect in, uh, in Toulouse. And he saw this cousin wanted to sell the property, and he said, no, you can't do that. I'm going to come and make wine. And he never made wine before. Right. This is back, I think, in the 1960s. This happened. Mm. And uh, so he, uh, he came to Chateauneuf and started making this most amazing wine. It's one of the best Chateauneuf wines. Mm. It's a small, you know, not too many people know. It is available here in New York, but it's, uh, right, right. it's uh, uh, he doesn't make a huge production. He's not as famous as the big... You know, Beau Castel and some of the other big producers there, but uh, right. but it's an incredibly intense, beautiful wine that he makes. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah, I do. Sp- I spent quite a bit of time in Chateau Neuf. Okay, yeah. cool. And also uh, in that in that region, uh, since you spent so much time there, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, cuisine that you enjoy, perhaps outside of your own home that you prepare yourself. Uh, you know, in some of the local local eateries. Could yeah, tell us well, there are, there are several really good restaurants there. Uh, it's mostly Provence style cooking, which means it's it's not so much butter, more olive oil based cooking. Mm. More Mediterranean style. It, well, it's on the Mediterranean, right, so right, it's Mediterranean right. style. Okay. And uh, they cook they cook a lot with tomatoes and fresh vegetables and and uh, very good fish dishes and uh, a lot of more traditional some things I don't like like. Uh, 
you know, four contestants and things like that, but they they seem to like it there. And, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and there are there are a number of good restaurants in our town. We have a couple of pretty good ones. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Michelin, one star, two star wow. places around. Um, I've eaten in a couple of them, usually when I didn't have to pay for it. But uh. <laughs> that's 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 a privilege. <laughs> So now a, a, a couple of the and, ones and you mentioned, would you, would you be able to give us the name of uh, a couple of them for some people that may happen to uh, venture in that area? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I have to remember the names. Um, La Table de Sorgue, S-O-R-G-U-E-S, which is in the town next to Chateauneuf-du-Pape. Mm. And it's the restaurant actually where all the winemakers at Chateauneuf go there for lunch. They bring all their clients there and they go there for dinner. It's the, it's the best restaurant around Chateauneuf. Okay, wonderful. So that's a really good restaurant. Um, let me think of some others. Uh, we, we have, uh, yeah, in our town, we have some, some of the restaurants are pretty good. I wouldn't say they're on Michelin star level, but they're, right. they're, they're pretty good. Wow. There's a restaurant in the neighboring town. Um, I think it's what is it called, DDA is Sylvie, something like that, uh, which is just a one man, again, two men, husband and wife run the whole place. They're the, right. the, the cooks, bottle washers, <laughs> right, right. chef, uh, the, the, everything. And they, uh, they make really good traditional food, French food, not necessarily Provence, but, but you don't find too much of the kind of French food you used to find in French restaurants 30 years ago, but these guys make it there. So. Okay, cool. So it's good. So. So now, how would you compare that to, uh, let's say, a, a typical French restaurant here in New York City, in terms of the cuisine? How would you compare it? The well, course, overall quality, much better. Much better. And the main reason is, uh, well, first of all, a lot of French restaurants don't even have people that know French French cooking in New York, so that's one problem. But Beyond that, <laughs> um, it's another world. <laughs> the, the the basic ingredients are just so much better. I mm. mean, if you go to a, a, a market in one of these towns, the vegetables and the fruits and everything are so the the tastes are so full and vibrant and right. and, I, and and it's like whenever I get there, I go to the market and I said, oh, that's what an apple, that's what a peach is supposed to taste like. Right. That's what a strawberry is supposed to taste like. A tomato is a tomato. That's just what a tomato, especially <laughs> tomato, that's what a tomato is right, supposed right. to taste like. And it's very rare that I can find that, that mm. quality here. And, okay. and, and so most restaurants here, uh, you know, they, they have to buy their food from something like Restaurant Depot or something. And it's, it's, it's good enough quality, but, but what makes great cooking is great ingredients. Right, right, definitely, so definitely. On. Just like uh, I, mean, I had a conversation uh, with some music producers and, and, and they echoed kind of the same thing, saying no matter what the technology is and the tricks and, and, and things, it all comes down to the performance. Well, of you know, course. It's the, you know, at the end of the day, you can do all kind of studio wizardry, but it all comes down to how well the performance is. So right. with, with food, the quality Absolutely. of the ingredients. Same thing. Right, yeah. wow. So yeah. now with your proximity to uh, other, other wine regions in France, uh, when you're there, uh, do you have any other ones that you that you may visit when you're there, other than being in the Rhone? Well, uh, based on the, the Rhone Valley is the second largest Rhone, uh, wine region in France, and mm -hmm. it's very very big. Okay. So uh, when I'm there, I just mostly just stay in the Rhone Valley. But sometimes I go across the river because across the river is not the Rhone. It's it's not it's different wines. It's not Rhone Valley wines. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of, uh, but unfortunately the other we are just on the west side of the river, which officially is not Provence, but if you walk 
uh, about 100 feet from our house, you're in Provence. Mm. And once you're in Provence, the prices of wine triple, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> the prices triple. Not that the wine is that much better, but you know the, the price. Triple. And, and there are some famous wineries uh, not far from us. Um, there's one, the most famous, actually, the most famous in Provence is, is right close to us. It's called uh, Trevillon. Mm. Mm. Uh, and their wines are very expensive. And so I, as much as I'd like to, I don't, I don't bother mm. spending $80 a bottle when I can get a very good wine like this one for eight euros a bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> eight euros. Wow. Right. Yeah, you'll, see, you'll see, you'll be surprised at the quality. Yeah, this taste, this, this wine has very, uh, have you, have you tasted it? Already? Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. mature taste. It tastes, yeah, it's, yeah. it tastes as it's been well aged. What, what was the vintage again? Uh, 2015. Wow. It tastes, uh, tastes like it's beyond that. It tastes uh, quite a few years older than that. Very, yeah. Yeah. very approachable. Very, very this simple. is a wine, I'll, I'll just say a bit what it is. Um, the name of the winery, and again, as I said, you can't find it in the States anyplace. He doesn't export it at all. Mm. It's called Domaine de Pont de Voir, and it's, the uh, appellation is Laudon. That's L-A-U-D-U-N, which is a Cotteron village, mm. and which means it's a higher quality than a regular Cotteron. It's, it's kind of one step up from that. Mm. Um, but he's uh, a guy, he, he makes his money, he makes kind of lower quality wines to sell to supermarkets, and he, make, he does a lot of volume in that, and I assume he does pretty well doing that. This, he only sells to friends and friends of friends. Mm. And so um, I was fortunate to have a friend in Bocaire who discovered him and introduced me, and then uh, went out there recently, that went out there in May, went out there and... Uh, Spent a few hours with him actually because he's a very intense, serious <laughs> guy. Right. And so he took us on a tour of his vineyards. We went all over the, the, the region, seeing all his, he has vines in different places. And unlike conventional wisdom, is that the best wine should come from, from old vines in, on one plot. Right. He does the exact opposite. He mixes uh, grapes from different. Uh, plus that he owns and and puts them into a very very special uh, blend of wines, which I think is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. It's yeah. very rich. It has different fruit flavors. It's 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 very unusual for a Rhone wine. Actually, it has it's more dynamic than the right. Yeah, because I don't taste that kind of like uh, let's say with like with some of the Chateau Nerfs that that you get kind of that Grenache is very forward. Well, this is Grenache. This is mostly right. Grenache, but it's right. it's it's more than that. It's right, it's right. This you know, yeah, the yeah. Grenache in this, to my taste, is not not as forward yeah. as uh, some of the Chateau Neufs that I've yeah. had. Yeah. You know. So now, getting back to when you, as you mentioned, when you were a music student starting out, and, and your wine, you know, your wine uh, knowledge was beginning. Uh, up until that point, did you have a chance to experience uh, 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 American wines? Prior to that, or that's when your wine drinking began. No, that's when my when I paid it, started paying attention to it. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So your wine, uh, so your wine love, your wine kind of uh, education began with the European wine since right. you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now, once you uh, returned to the U.S. Uh, to live in the U.S., uh, did you have occasion to start trying American wines? Yeah, sure. Well, okay. I tried. I was out in back. I haven't been in California for a long time, but but back. Uh, Back in the 80s, I was, went out to California quite a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, had the Napa, went Napa and Sonoma in that area. Right, and right. Uh, 
those wines for my for me then and even now a lot of them are, are just they're too big and they're too obvious and they're too expensive mm. you know? and so I personally am not a great fan of most California wines although once in a while I taste something that's really spectacular but but you know my reference is European wines I guess mm. and so you know I like I like the wines out there that taste more like a French or Italian wine than than uh, than the California, the big, right, the big right. Cabernet Sauvignon right, that's right. been oaked and sells for five hundred dollars. You know, it's, it, I, I've tasted them; it's all very nice, but it's not my preference. Okay, okay. Now, what about uh, I guess some of the uh, uh, Oregon or Washington State wines? Have you? Had I was in Oregon once. Yeah, the the, the Pinots. Some of the Pinots are very nice in Oregon, and some of their white ones, the Pinot Gris in particular, like I liked. I liked the ones I've tasted since also. I, Go to wine tastings here quite often, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Oregon, I'm much closer to my taste. Actually. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, I know I, I'm a big fan of the uh, Willamette Valley Pinot Noirs, and yeah, and mm-hmm. I like uh, a lot of the uh, Columbia Valley uh, Petite Syrahs. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, Washington well, at least State, like the those. Washington wines I've tasted, I'm not crazy about. Maybe I've just not tasted the right ones. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, as you you know, as you said, your, your reference was uh, was your European wines from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, so that's you know that would definitely. Uh, give you a biased palate to begin with, yeah. you know. So that that's uh, that that makes quite a, quite a big difference, you know. So now with uh, your um, uh, wine lovers of NYC, uh, tell us a little bit about how you uh, how you began that organization and and some of the functions that you do around. Well, there. mostly it's a, it's a it's like a club for for people to get together and and attend wine tastings and learn about different wine regions. Uh, we try to get wine makers to come and talk about their wines. Uh, we were co-sponsors of the event you went to two weeks ago, so like right. that, that's the kind of event we do. Where okay. we, uh, the event you went to, there was a winemaker from Sicily who talked about his wines, and right. and um, so most of our events are like that. Or my partner with this is Robin Kelly O'Connor, who's a well-known wine expert, and uh, so he can just talk and entertain people about almost any wine region of the world. So. When it, we'll, we'll get a certain kind of wine, we'll get like six to eight to ten bottles, and we'll taste through all these wines, and he'll talk, talk about each one of them, usually just from one region or one, one right, area, right. You know, one topic. Mm. So now when you uh, do your wine trips, because I know you mentioned you had one uh, uh, this past weekend mm-hmm. in the uh, Hudson Valley. Right. So if you can tell us a little bit about that and, and for people that would uh, perhaps join your organization and, and, and go on some future trips. First of all, I mentioned it's free to join the organization. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I need to use your email address and you're a member. Uh, this past uh, Sunday, actually, we had a wonderful trip to a little town about two hours north of New York called Marlboro. And it turns out that this town, I had been there, I hadn't been there for a long time. I'd been there many years ago, and I remember there was one winery in particular, which is, which is fairly well known. Um, so uh, I thought, okay, it would be nice to get a group together, but rather than take a group out to Long Island, which is what everybody does from New York, mm-hmm. and, and those wineries are getting to be kind of overcrowded and the people can't give you personal attention when you're, when you're tasting, I decided to take, try, try to go out to Marlboro. Mm-hmm. So I got a small group. We went, we're going to organize it again in September sometime. Let's try to get a bigger group. Um, and we, uh, we went to three wineries. Uh, the first one was very interesting. It's an education. Even if you may not like their wines, but it's an interesting education. It's uh, something called Stouts Ridge. Mm. And it's uh, 
run, started, run, built by a man and his wife who are, they're both biochemists. And he, after he studied biochemistry, and I think probably worked in pharmaceuticals for a while or something, decided he loved wine, he wanted to make wine. He lived in California. Mm -hmm. And so he spent about 25 years making wine in the Napa Valley. I did, he didn't say where he was, maybe he went from place to place. And then he decided, he was from New York, he decided he wanted to come back to New York and found um, an estate in, in Marlboro, which first of all, he explained, Marlboro is the first place in all of North America where wine as we know it was made back wow. in the 18th century. Wow. And he found this property that where the original grape varieties were grown. So they're not Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot and stuff. They're Niagara and, uh, and a bunch of other local uh, native grapes that are also Vitis vinifera, but they're not, they're not, you know, you wouldn't see them commonly outside of the Hudson Valley. Right. Now, he also has a theory that all wine that you buy in the store is is what he calls art, which means it's not actually natural. It has to be doctored to some degree so that it can travel in trucks and boats and airplanes and things like that. Right, right. So he only sells his wine at his winery. He does not, he does not sell it to a store. He does not sell it to a <laughs> restaurant. He just sells it in his winery. You mm -hmm. have to drink it there, or you can have to buy it there. You can take it home, but you have to buy it there. And... Um, and he gives a very extensive lecture if you go there. It's very interesting. Even, you know, even if you end up not liking his wine, it's still an educational experience. He gives a very extensive 20-minute, half-hour lecture about how he makes the wine, what his philosophy is, why his wines... He's the, he claims he's the only winery in the world that makes wine this way. Okay. <laughs> nice. Everybody's passionate about their craft, right? <laughs> That's so. right. And it's a beautiful place. I mean, he built it from scratch, but only at the top of the line, everything. And he also put it in a distillery, so he makes his own whiskeys and gin mm. and things like that. So, uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. so now, how does the uh, 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 the uh, your audience or your 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 members? How did they respond to to that particular? Oh, they trip? loved it. They were fascinated. Mm. In fact, I'm just fascinating lecture he gave, and actually, they liked the wine better than I did, and I wasn't going to tell them not to buy it. So. <laughs> okay. So now, <laughs> when you do your your trips with your group. Do you primarily do things that are local, things that may be national or international? Haven't done an international trip yet. No, we've just done, uh, I mean, local makes sense because you get right. in the car and drive a couple of hours and there you are. You know? Right, right. Um, so anyway, we went to two other wineries, just want to mention. One is called uh, Gordy, I think it is, it's, and it's a farm. It's a guy and his wife who are uh, fruit farmers. Many They still are. You know, they grow peaches and and apples and things like that. Mm. And they, decided, they saw other people making wine around there, so they said, well, why don't we grow some grapes? <laughs> and uh, they hired a winemaker, and uh, they're making some actually some pretty decent wines, especially the Cabernet, uh, Cabernet uh, Franc, mm. and a couple of white wines that are quite nice. You know, they're, they're doing pretty well. And it's also a beautiful place on top of a hill. You can see the hills on both sides of the Hudson. Right. And, and then we went to the most famous winery in the town where that part of the Hudson Valley called Ben Morrow, which uh, was started back in the 1940s by mm -hmm. a guy named Mark Miller, who was a famous illustrator. He used to illustrate like the covers of uh, Life magazine and things like that. Um, 
and actually the first time I went there, he was still alive and he was, he would, he was running the place. So the first couple of times I went there back, I won't tell you how many years ago, he was, that was just his little thing. Mm-hmm. But he uh, introduced French hybrid grapes to the Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, and meaning that they're, they're not pure French grapes, they're hybrids with North American uh, uh, species. Wow. So the best one, and actually I bought a bottle of it, it's, gotten, it's, it's quite good, it's Sable Blanc, it's a, a white wine. Um, you, don't, you won't find it in France, but uh, it's, it's a really nice, delicious wine. Um, all, all the wineries up there use Sable Blanc for their white wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, uh, we tasted that, we tasted a bunch of others. I'm not crazy about his other wines, but, but they're very, very good. I mean, that's the most famous in the town. And it's also the most incredibly beautiful place. So you can just sit there for hours and look at the Hudson River and mm-hmm. look at the mountains. And he has a bunch of tables set up where you can buy a couple of bottles of wine and just sit there all day and <laughs> just enjoy yeah, yourself. Enjoy yourself, right? <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. wow. So now, uh, some of your your favorites, obviously, you know, your your your, uh, your Rhone Valleys and your Bordeaux. You know, for your taste, what are some of your other favorite wines that you like from around the world? So. Well, Burgundy's obviously. Okay. Bordeaux's more I like more left bank than right bank, meaning more like Medoc right, than, okay. than Saint Emile. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I I love some I once had the chance to go to a private tasting at Cheval Blanc in, in Saint Emile and that was an amazing experience and the wines were obviously fantastic. Unbelievably mm. fantastic. Uh, so it's Bordeaux. Uh, I've been in Burgundy a few times. Visited all these little winemakers, and they they make up so many spectacular wines in Burgundy, uh, the, the reds mm-hmm. and the whites. Um, where else? I've been in uh, Piemonte. Okay. Good Barolos. Right, right. Fantastic wine. They're just a little tricky. You have to wait. My age, I'm not going to be able to drink drink a lot of them. So <laughs> yeah, it takes a while. It takes a while for those tannins to break down. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Very yeah. Uh, I've been there. I've been. Uh, uh, I've been in Brunello area. We tasted a bunch of fantastic Brunellos. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Spain, I haven't really done wine tasting in Spain. I want to get to know it a bit more. Mm-hmm. And once we settled down in Bocaire, it's you know it's only three hours to the Spanish border from where we are. So mm-hmm. uh, we can. And Rioja is about six hour drive, so we can go to Rioja at some point. Right. So now, outside of actually uh, going there to Spain. Uh, have you had occasion to just, I guess, you know, among friends and family to, to enjoy any Spanish wines? Oh, yeah, Rioja. A bunch of, I went to a Rioja tasting a couple of weeks ago. It was, okay. At, they were all fantastic wines. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So now getting back to uh, uh, Germany, Australia. I mean, Austria. Austria yeah. Germany, Austria. Uh, so are you a big fan of the German Rieslings? I, I, think, I don't like the Germans as much as I like the Alsace and the uh, Austrian Rieslings, actually. Just okay. my, my taste. Okay, good, good. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, what about... Uh, well, I like the Finger Lakes Rieslings, actually. I was up there a couple of months ago. Okay, they're now making, that, that gets it. They're making some great stuff up there, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now what about South America or South Africa? Is any any South the wines? I've tasted a number of... We, we, uh, we did an event with Wines of South Africa last year. Well, they brought some, some amazing wines from South Africa. Um, 
especially the Chenin Blanc, the, the white ones. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm a fan uh, of the, I'm a big fan of the Chenin Blancs, very yeah, nice, yeah. very, very, very wonderful wines. Yeah. And uh, other than that, Argentina, Chile, I mean, they're making great wines. I don't really have one particular favorite, but they're, they're certainly very highly mm. drinkable, good, good, and good values, a lot of them are good values. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But uh, Australia, any, anything from And Australia there? also, again, you know, I used to think Australians were more or less like the... Uh, the Napa wines, you know, the heavy, right? Oats, big, yeah, big, you know, bold, fruit. But actually, wines. I went to a tasting of um, Chardonnays a couple of months ago, sponsored by Wines of Australia, mm. and they had like fifteen wines, I think. And um, I was amazed how good the Chardonnays were. And of course, they 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 played a trick. You know, they 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 mixed in a couple of Chablis in there, so we had right, to tell right. whether, whether <laughs> it was French. Or, you know, and of course, the right. they found you know. The not so good shop leader compared with the best Australians. So the Australians came out on top on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so now, would you say, uh, from your taste, the uh, uh, Australian Chardonnays were they closer to, uh, let's say, a California or closer to Burgundy? No, no, to, they were closer, closer to, to, a Burgundy. to the French, closer to Burgundy. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I was very impressed. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Because I know that they're known so much more for their Reds and their, you know, their Shirazes. Yeah. Well, the Shiraz, yeah. And their Cabs. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a sort of purist who spends time in the Rhone Valley, I, I hate the, the word Shiraz. <laughs> that's, that's should be called Syrah. Yeah, yeah Syrah, that's funny. And, that, yeah. and you know, I think uh, the history of that word is actually, I believe that's a place in, 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 in Iran. Iran. Right, yeah. so, well, it's, it's actually where the grape probably came from. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So yeah. it's amazing, you know, how that, how that name got to Australia. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know the, all the history of that, but that... Although the French claim that Syrah is native of the Rhone Valley, so, you know. Right. Let, them, <laughs> let everybody believe what they want to. You know. right, 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 right. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Okay, so we're going to take a little break, and uh, then we're going to continue. This is One Bottle at a Time, and today we're with uh, Mr. Bonnie Lair of uh, New York Wine Lovers. And uh, once again, if you can uh, tell our audience the uh, first wine, the first bottle that we've enjoyed. The first uh, wine is one you'll never find here. It's called Domaine <laughs> de Pont de Voix, and it's a Laudin, that's L-A-U-D-U-N, which is a fairly famous wine village on the Rhone Valley. Okay. And um, uh, if you want to get hold of Monsieur Xavier Dumas, who owns the place, who makes the wine, then uh, maybe contact me and I'll try to put you in touch with him. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. This is uh, Ronald Dorsey of One Bottle at a Time. And we're here today with Mr. Bonnie Lair of the Wine Lovers of NYC. And uh, we're having a second bottle today. Usually we just do one bottle, but uh, Mr. Lair has uh, brought us a little something from Long Island. Can you tell us, our, our audience, a little bit about the uh, wine that we're having? Uh, the wine we're having is one like the other wine I was talking about is almost impossible to find but it's uh, called Riley Cellars, and uh, it's a one-man operation, a guy named Joe Riley, who uh, grew up in Long Island, still lives in Long Island, and he's a farmer. 
and he found out that his ancestors in Ireland were all farmers, and so he decided he wanted to be a great farmer. So back in 1991, <laughs> before property values got crazy on uh, North Fork of Long Island, he bought uh, 30, 38 acres of uh, potato farm mm. and um, started to grow grapes because he liked wine. And so now he has 38 acres, plus he has a bunch of other empty land which he wants to plant some more gra um, grapes on. And he um, doesn't make wine himself. He doesn't have a winery there. He has to set, uh, bring the grapes over to uh, a couple of the neighboring wineries to actually make the wine. But he, uh, he has a really unique terroir, I think. The, the grapes produced there, especially his uh, Cabernet Franc, which is what we're drinking right now, and his also his Chardonnay, I think are a cut above most of the Long Island grapes, mo most Long Island wines. Mm -hmm. And um, since he's unknown, he can't charge too much for them yet. <laughs> so so, so uh, it's all a good thing. Plus, if you ever go out there, he's a great guy to, to. You can sit down and talk to him for three hours, and he's just very happy to talk and give you a tour of the, the vineyards. And uh, he does not have. He's he's. If for those of you who know North Fork, he's between two of the most famous wineries out there, Pindar, which is the largest winery on Long Island, and. Uh, Bedell, which is makes for a long time been making very good quality wines, mm. so he's basically the same terroir as the two of them. And um, he doesn't get his wine made there, though he gets them made uh, at a couple of different places. One being Lentz, which is a couple of doors further out. Um, but Joe is, uh, it's he's an amazing guy. Uh, the his facility is uh, surrounded by a bunch of broken down used cars. <laughs> Uh, the tasting room has a bunch of, you know, it has all the cases of wine in one big air-conditioned room, and it's surrounded by, you know, old car parts and, and <laughs> junk food. And he has a workshop in the next room where he, I don't, I don't know what he does in there, but he does, he puts, puts stuff together, he fixes stuff. Uh, but his main passion is growing grapes, mm. and, uh, and he can talk for hours about it. He loves, he just loves doing this stuff. Mm. And he's, uh, he claims he has, doesn't have a tasting room and a, and a winery yet because the uh, South Hole Town Council won't let him build it. They won't, they won't let him zone his property mm. for buildings. It has to be only agricultural. Mm. Which may, may or may not be true, I don't know. It probably is. Um, uh, and uh, he, uh, because... Bedell and Pindar especially has the biggest tasting room in Long Island, so you know there must be some way of getting it done if you pay some lawyer enough money for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, his uh, I, I I I love his wines. I think they're 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 big, they're fruity. They don't have um, the same kind of taste that other Cabernet Franc have tasted from Long Island, which have this kind of mousy nose. What I would call a kind of a mousy nose to them or something. This is. Mm. This is just pure, deep fruit. It's a lo mm. lovely taste. Mm. Um, and uh, he sells it for Long Island at a reasonable price. It's $20 a bottle. Yeah, that's very good. Um, and, um, and it's worth... Anybody who wants to take a trip out to Long Island, instead of going to Pindar, you should go next door and, and visit Joe. <laughs> <laughs> visit Joe, Joe in the car parts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Car parts and wine and 
just just an old uh, bucolic, rustic type place, right? Whatever, whatever right. goes on, whatever yeah. happens. All right, cool. So now you were telling us about, uh, you know, some of your favorites, you know, o- over the years. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about your music again. And, uh, you know, because obviously there, there was, like you said, when you got started with your music in, in, uh, in Austria and, uh, you, you, you know, kind of fell in love with the wine, wine there. Uh, what are some of your favorites, into, you know, for music? What do you enjoy listening to when you're relaxing with a glass of wine? You, you oh, I go through different phases. Uh, <laughs> well, right now, actually, I'm, I, I didn't used to, but I really love opera, actually, these days. So uh, I go to the opera sometimes. So I listen to opera and uh, listen to jazz sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a. I don't listen to a lot of music actually. Okay. Okay. But in in, in in the jazz vein, who are some of your favorite uh, favorites you like? You enjoy listening to. Let's see. There's a guy I, I went to Jazz Standard a few months ago, and there's this amazing guy. What was his name? He's blind. He. He plays the guitar like it's a flute. It's, he's an, an amazing guy. I, forgot, I wow. have to remember his name again. Uh, was it Raul Midon? Raul Midon. That's the Raul, guy. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's a uh, yeah. He, he's amazing. He, he's amazing. He's he can uh, he can he can fill a room all by himself. Yeah. Just yeah. him and the guitar and his voice. Yeah. I mean, he had a couple of guys with him, but I mean, right. he's a star. Right. He was, yeah. He's he was amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Raul Midon. As soon as you said blind guitar player, yeah. I said yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Definitely, I'm a big fan of his. He has a very uh, rhythmic, rhythmic style that he uses when he plays. Well, he he makes the guitar into all kinds of different instruments. Right, 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 like right, right, right. Yeah, it's he's he, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Definitely, yeah. definitely amazing. Yeah. I have uh, I actually uh, have quite a few of his videos too. Yeah, it's why well, he's right. on YouTube. He yeah, yeah, great, yeah, great yeah, yeah. YouTube, yeah, 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 yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. doing it because he plays, he sings. Yeah, he, he you know plays the trumpet with his mouth. He whistles. Yeah, it's and amazing. When he plays <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, 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 yeah. definitely. He's he's definitely. Yeah, so, so right now, I'd say he's my favorite. <laughs> okay, all right, good, 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 good. I, I, I thought you were gonna start with some of the uh, some of the favorites everybody likes. You know, a little Cold Train or you know a little Miles. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's Dizzy and all those guys. I right, play, right. Actually, back in my Days as a professional musician, I played concerts with people like Dizzy, Wow, okay, Ella Fitzgerald, and people like that. But that's yeah, these are big. You know, I was in an orchestra, and they were there was with the orchestra. Wow, but uh, yeah, wow, that's 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 amazing. That's good. That's good. So now with the um, uh, the cello, the cello playing that you did, did, did you have any favorite composers that you enjoy playing? I think Bach was my favorite. Bach yeah. was your favorite. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and that was was that uh, for uh, orchestra chamber music or or all of it? Well, all orchestra it? and chamber orchestra, uh, cello. Just as a he wrote six pieces just for the cello, mm. and by itself. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I like playing playing cantatas. I used to play long, long time ago. I used to play every Sunday Bach cantatas in the church on Central Park West. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and I like playing, yeah, I like playing Bach in general in the, in the chamber orchestras. So. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So now do you, uh, do you find that uh, when you enjoy wine, is it, is it uh, easier to enjoy it when you're 
amongst family and friends, or do you also equally enjoy it when you do wine tastings and events uh, that are, that I'll, are more I'll consistent? enjoy wine no matter where it is. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you're at, you enjoy the wine. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good, 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 wonderful. Okay, all right, so we're going uh, gonna to wrap things up. Uh, this has been One Bottle at a Time with Mr. Bonnie Lair, and uh, uh, he's with the uh, Wine Lovers of NYC. Of, of NYC. WineNY.com is our website. Okay, WineNY.com. Yeah. Okay, and one of the things we like to do here at uh, One Bottle at a Time is uh, we, we have a uh, short story of the day. Okay. And uh, so if you have a uh, favorite uh, short story you'd like to share with the audience <laughs> that comes to mind. Short story. Let's see. Well, I used to, uh, for about 10 years, every year, two or three times a year, I went on uh, trips with a uh, journalist friend of mine named Jesse Nash. And uh, he managed to get us into some of the top wineries of the world, mm. and especially of Europe. And so we would travel, and, and also some of the best restaurants in France in particular, which we never had to pay for, which was all very nice. Wow, nice. So, uh, <laughs> um, one, actually, one restaurant we went to in particular was the only three-star restaurant I've ever eaten in, which is, um, well, I should know the name. It's a very famous name. I, I'm, I'm getting old, so I forget names. Uh, anyway, it's a very famous uh, three-star restaurant north of Lyon. And uh, it's so famous that the French government built a special exit from the Alto route, from the, from the highway, just so we'd go to his village where his restaurant is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, what was his name, Georges? Anyway, those of you out there who know French restaurants know him. <laughs> uh, so um, we go to this place, and, and he has like the whole center of this village, which is where, the village where he was born. And it's, um, it's all about him and his restaurants and mm. his, um, his career and his life and blah, blah, blah. So he has, he has a museum of his father's and grandfather's cars, for example. Mm -hmm. um, he has an, he has a famous restaurant, the three star restaurant. Then he has another restaurant, which is like a bistro. He has a, a gift shop where everything is branded with his name on it. <laughs> and I'm afraid that actually the meal we had, I mean, it was yeah, you, know, you could tell that everybody was very excited to be there, and there were people from all over the world there, and and it was very very beautifully done. Everything was perfect, and mm -hmm. but. Um, Food actually, I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a three-star famous restaurant, and, and to your taste, the food wasn't exactly that good. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, another dinner uh, uh, Jesse and I had was at the uh, Four Seasons Hotel in uh, the Georges Trois, Georges the Third in uh, Paris, mm. which was just before they got their third, their three stars. And it was the most amazing meal I've had in my life. It was like eight courses. We had wow. the, a sommelier who had the perfect wine with every course. And, and I've never seen such a culinary artistry in my life. So it was fantastic. Mm. Now, where, where was this at again? In Paris. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what was the place? It's called Georges George, George, George V. George mm. 
Amazing, huh? Very famous. It's one of the top restaurants in Paris. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, and uh, my short story of the day is uh, The Emperor's New Clothes by the famous Mr. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen. So uh, for those of you who enjoy a good short story, that's, uh, that's one to listen to. Okay, and once again today, we've been with Mr. Bonnie Lehrer of Wine Lovers NYC. And if you can tell our audience once more, the uh, wine. Website, wineny.com. Okay, and the wine that we enjoyed today? We enjoyed Pont de Voix from Laudin and Domaine de Pont de Voix, and then Riley Sellers from Long Island. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much, Mr. Lair. It's been wonderful to uh, have your company and also your, your history and your journey in wine. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is Ronald Dorsey for One Bottle at a Time. Keep it moving. One Bottle at a Time is a production of Sky Palace Music. Tell you, I can tell you exactly how I